Pastor Doug had mentioned about desire. So we're going to talk to the ladies just a little bit for a few more minutes, and then we'll jump from there. Uh, in James 1, you don't have to turn there, but I just, I just, just want to just remind you. You know, it talks about that no, no man, no woman, no person is tempted except when he's drawn away of his own lust, of their own desires. And in, and in my Passion Translation uh, paraphrase, where it says like, so my friends, don't be fooled by your own desires. Don't be fooled by your own desires. I'm reminded in this moment of how Romans chapter 8, verse 26, from the Passion Translation also says that the Lord knows our longings, but he also knows the desires of the Spirit. So sometimes there's a conflict, there's a difference between our longings, our, our images, things that we're hungering for, and the desires of the Spirit. And He wants that desire on fire on the inside of you. He wants that desire to replace any desire that you might be fooled by that would, it, that would lure you away to thinking that you want something that you really don't want. Lure you to pursuing something that you really don't need to pursue. I had another scripture here. Let me look at this here. 1 John 2.15 Actually, verse 16 says, For all the world can offer us the gratification of our flesh, the allurement of the things of the world, and the obsession with status and importance. I'm going to read that one more time, and then i got a last little phrase we're going to read here. And it's, <laughs> I love this. For all that the world can offer us, the gratification of our flesh the allurement of the things of the world and the obsession with status and importance. Here's the phrase. None of these things come from the Father, but from the world. None of these things come from the Father. That's what the whole world's advertisement system is built upon right there. The lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, trying to appeal to you so that you have a sense of worth, a sense of value, and earlier, Pastor Doug, I, I had these little circles that I'm working with some other people and some counseling stuff about that's on uh, a team of folks to where, and I know you can't see this necessarily, but like 
belongingness. <laughs> See, I got three circles here. <laughs> belongingness. Where'd I go? Up top. Worthiness. And then competence. And I borrowed Pastor Mark's sheet here. Oh, wait. He would. <laughs> I promise you that would not be his sheet. His sheet would be a lot more organized. <laughs> it might be Pastor Bill's sheet. Where'd that squirrel go, brother? <laughs> but in the worthiness little circle, that's often related to an automatic thought and belief sometimes that people have of being unlovable, unlikable, undesirable. And the thought is if I appear good enough, maybe you'll admire me. So this is what you're talking about, right? The, the magazines, everything, all the pressure on the ladies. Appear good enough so that people will admire you. And then when I was thinking about that, I was like, oh yeah, admire, huh? That rhymes with desire, huh? Yeah, okay. Ladies, uh, they want to be admired for their appearance naturally. Guys too, right? But in this context we're talking about. And then the phrase came to my mind, uh, you know, that the, I've heard it said before that the desire of the man is for the woman, but the desire of the woman is for the desire of the man. Does that make sense? Say that again. The desire of the man often is for the woman. Like, oh, how? She's cute. I like her. <laughs> Known her about 29 years now. Wonderful. Sweet, nice, godly. <laughs> She's a bad man. <laughs> Romans 12, 1, no, 2. Be not conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be singing Carl Carlton songs anymore. <laughs> Bad Mama Jamma. That's a long way back. Whew. 1982, the skating rink. He's a bad Jamma. This is fine as she can be. <laughs> Woo, thank you. Jesus, help me. All right, Pastor, Pastor Bill, you got anything? <laughs> oh, I'm joking. Oh, wow. Pastor Doug, Pastor Wade. Uh, yeah, the desire of the man is for the woman. <laughs> Pretty young thing. <laughs> Pastor Mark knows that. <laughs> PYT. Yeah, okay. All right. <clears throat> Thank you, Holy Spirit. <laughs> Just think, some people, some people don't even know what that means, right? It's, it's so old. It's so old. So anyway, yeah, praise the Lord. Desire of the man is for the woman. Desire of the woman is for the desire of the man. So... If that is somewhat true, right? It's where like a dude can just like, dude, if you want her, you need to watch that show like How Not to Dress or whatever, right? Just like, but you just, but he's not even worried about that. It's just like, oh, wow, hey, how's it going? But like her, right? She's trying to look pretty and all this stuff. So anyway, all right, we good? Can I move on now? Is that enough for the ladies? <laughs> no, I'm just following up. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm joking. Praise the Lord. Uh, 
That does go, no, what Pastor Doug did have there goes very, very well with the things that I have in my heart uh, to share. And I'm going to start, I got a number of scriptures, but we're going to be making some different points in here and just trusting God to work in your spirit and to work change and that by his spirit that there would be an exchange of beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, right? Garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. And I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you to turn to a scripture if you, uh, when I'm ready for it too, but otherwise I'm just going to hit some and move. <clears throat> but in the Passion Translation, 2 Corinthians 10, I will give you the reference. It's verse 4. It says, Our spiritual weapons are energized with divine power to effectively dismantle the defenses behind which people hide. That says that by the Spirit of God, the inspired Word of God, the the insights, words of knowledge being called up, the ministry of life, not of the letter, but the ministry of life to spirits and hearts, the Holy Ghost has a way to effectively dismantle the defenses behind which people hide. It says we can demolish every deceptive fantasy. How about that? That would sort of fit with that, right, which you have. We can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break through every attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. Now, I would say this. Sometimes we read that and we think, oh, I need to, yeah, I need to straighten up. I need to quit thinking what I'm thinking. No, we're, right now we're talking about the, word, the Holy Spirit wants to set you ladies and, and anybody else that is struggling with an image that's not of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you got some other image on the inside of you that you're trying to live up to. And you, my guess is, honestly, you don't even know it. You're not even conscious of it. It's not something you think about all the time until moments like this. You may on occasion, but as a norm, you're probably not super aware of it. You remember in Second uh, Timothy chapter 1, Paul told Timothy in verse 6 and 7, he said, Stir up the gift of God which is on the inside of you. Said, so for God has not given you a spirit of fear or timidity, but power, love, and a sound mind. I'm going to come back to that, but I've got to remember this is where I was going to start to Pastor Doug and the Holy Spirit interrupted me, but now I, he didn't, you just, you, you know, it's good. It's just, let's just, just go there now and find it. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> I'll find it in just a second here. <clears throat> so Paul was telling Timothy, 
God has not given you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. So Timothy, by nature, natural, it would seem, study and read and tradition and such forth, he was probably a pretty easygoing guy, pastor. And Paul's noticing, hey, fella, there's a life of God on the inside of you. The hope of the glory, Jesus Christ is on the inside of you. You need to stir it up because you're acting too natural. Those natural preferences and those natural parts of you, they're coming out more than you realize. And it's costing the gospel getting out in the way it needs to get out. You're being too timid. You're even tempted to be ashamed. Why? Because you may not be a woman or a lady, Timothy, but you're trying to live up to some image that you think you need to be as opposed to letting Christ come out of you and letting him just bring the lion of the tribe of Judah out in a strong way. You're being too timid, Timothy. And so... Now I'm going to read Galatians 6, verse 4. This, this says, Let everyone be devoted to fulfill the work God has given them. Galatians 6, 4. Let everyone be devoted to fulfill the work God has given them to do with excellence, and their joy will be in doing what's right and being themselves and not in being affirmed by others. Same thing. Same thing about the ladies. Fulfill the call on your life and doing what's right and being yourself and in not being affirmed by others. Every believer is ultimately responsible for his or her own conscience. No matter how you're treated, no matter how good it is, how bad it is, whatever, you know what? There's strength for you to, to get over. There's strength for you to stand. There's strength for you to finish your course, to finish your marriage, to finish your job. There's strength for you that's way beyond you. But there's something about you just like Pastor Doug's ministry and the ladies, they're like, it keeps getting appealed to, keeps getting pulled on. And as we read in 1 John, none of these things are of the Father. None of those things that you're getting appealed to and lured to so you'll be admired and feel valued and liked and feel appreciated feel respected, feel you belong. Those are all human needs, but how are they being met? And so Paul's telling Timothy, brother, stir it up. And, and then I will ask you to turn to this scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Hmm. Verse... Ooh, 23. I'm sorry. Verse, uh, yeah, yeah. Verse 23. 
You follow along in your New King James or whatever you're reading. I'm still re- I'm going to be going for my uh, passion. <clears throat> so keep in mind that uh, Paul told Timothy to stir it up. You're being too timid. You're, need, you're, you're being a little bit too needy. You're needing what these people are offering too much. You know, I was told years ago that you, you can only help some people, you can only help people to the degree that, that you don't need them. Now that might sound super arrogant and calloused and hardened, but that is not the heart of it. The heart of it is what we're talking about tonight. I need you to need me. I need you to like me. I need, if, I'm your, if I'm a counselor with you or a pastor, I need you to think I'm nice. I need you to think I'm friendly. I need you to think that I love you. And so therefore, I won't tell you what I need to tell you because I need that. Versus, wait, you're not my source. I'm not your source. My value of my worth, my belongingness, my significance, I am accepted in him. And I can tell you that all day long. We could get Pastor Wade's Redemptive Realities class, play the tapes 24 hours going, and his Blood Covenant class. And like, man, that's awesome. And just get full of joy, (laughs) right? Great. And we could still, after that, still be like tempted not to say what I need to say. Why? I want you to like me. Do I care for you so much? Do I love you the way you think I do? Or do I just want you to like me? See, that's messed up, (laughs) right? But what are we talking about? We're talking about internal things. We're talking about things that, by which we're moved. So Timothy, if he hadn't have done the first part, what Paul talked with him about, he would have never been able to do this part right here. It says, stay away from all the foolish arguments of the immature, for these disputes will only generate more conflict. For a true servant of our Lord Jesus will not be argumentative but gentle toward all and skilled in helping others see the truth, having great patience toward the immature. Then with meekness, you'll be able to carefully enlighten those who argue with you so they can see God's gracious gift of repentance and be brought to the truth. This will cause them to rediscover themselves and escape from the snare of Satan who caught them in his trap so that they would carry out his purposes. But Paul, by the Spirit, writing to him, saying, you'll be able to enlighten those who are arguing with you so they can see the gracious gift of repentance. How does that work out for you? How does that work out for us, associate pastors, people arguing with us. I don't experience that that much, but I know sometimes that happens, right? How patient are we going to be? Are we going to be able to do like Jesus when reviled, revile not again, and like what the picture paints to Timothy? I will be able to just humble and meek in peace and the fruit of the Spirit and just enlighten you with gracious repentance. 
Because see, then I, I think, who would do that? 1 Timothy 4.15. The only person that would do that, 1 Timothy 4.15 says that you have many, uh, forget what the King James says, but it says you just have few fathers in the faith. Passion Translation 11 says you got many babysitters that just tell you what you're doing wrong. Only the heart of the father, only someone with the father's heart and that like a, a, a parent, I love you, but I don't need you. I'm your parent. I want you. I, I love you. I want to help give you life and help you get trained and, and up and going. But I don't need you so much that I can't tell you what needs to be. And I can be in control. I can maintain the fruit of the spirit and stay in self-control. So for time's sake, we're going we're gonna to move and I'm just going to share just a couple more things here because we want to have time to get to do communion. <clears throat> you know, there was, um, if you turned, I'm not asking you to, but if you did, if you turned in Matthew 20, you would, you would find a story of uh, a lady's a mother, the mother of the sons of Zebedee. The mother of the sons of Zebedee, and she called Jesus to, uh, made an appointment with Jesus, and he comes to her right and says, yeah, how can I help you, basically, I'm paraphrasing. And she said, uh, Jesus, would you please, I want my boys to uh, sit on your left hand and on your right hand. I want, that's what I want. That's what I desire. Why do you desire that, Ms. Zebedee? Well, I don't know. I just think, I just think if, you know, if they're going to be involved in it, they might as well go to the top. I just want them to do well in life. I want them to do that. And what Jesus said to her, you know, it's like, hey, what you're asking, that's not up to me to do, right? And then what happened later when word spreads and then the disciples, the, the boys, Jane, like the sons of Zebedee, when they get back to the other disciples, what happens? They all start arguing. They're like, what are you talking about? Like, who are you? What's happening? What do we see there? We see a system of evaluation, if you, if you will. We see that somebody, Zebedee's mom, right? They're like, or the sons of Zebedee, his wife, right? They're like, She's got a certain standard in her mind, an image to live up to. If her boys are this, then they're successful. And that involves a comparison. I'm better than you, or they're up above you, because that means I have status, I have value, I have importance, as opposed to, no. You may have those roles, but your value, your belongingness, your competence, your significance, everything about your worth must stay grounded and centered in who you are in Christ. And even more than that, it has to be Christ in you. He is your life. He is your source, your significance. And then we could ask the question, okay, what would be the difference between the sons of Zebedee and 
uh, the disciple whom John, I'm sorry, whom Jesus loved. What would be the difference in how maybe the sons of Zebedee treated people and how the disciple whom Jesus loved treated people? And there's really, truly, honestly, there's nothing in the scripture that I can see of how, how did John really treat people that much. But what I'm going off of is that Anytime that you see throughout scripture that these people, for example, in Jude 19, they didn't keep themselves in the love of God. They stayed alienated from the life of God on the inside of them. And when they weren't filled with the spirit and it wasn't, they weren't conscious of Christ living in me. They couldn't like Paul say, it's no longer I that lives, but it's Christ. No, it's like, no, it's I, it's me what I want, what I desire. They alienated themselves from the life of God. Anytime you see that, you see those people treating others not so nicely, trying to manipulate, trying to be taskmasters, trying to rule, as Jesus talked about, like a tyrannical rule. And he said in that same chapter, Matthew 20, he said, boys, basically he's talking to the disciples, he said, we are going by a different model. This is not, this is the world's model, Miss Zebedee. Your, your, your mentality is totally on the world's model. He that comes to serve, even me, right? Me and Jesus. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. You think about, sometimes I remember years ago, 1990 something, there was, if I dropped the name right now, every single one of you, at least 90 something percent wouldn't recognize the national known minister. I think he's died now though. But like, I remember I was ushering in one of those meetings and he wasn't able to get the seat that he was, thought he would have. And uh, he got pretty upset. And I thought to myself, well, hey, what if in a big meeting, all the reserved seats for ministers up here, like, hey, we got your seat up here. We got your seat up here. Cool. And they're like, okay, thank you. Thank you. Oh, yeah. In just a few minutes, this will be where the foot washing starts right here. Y'all going to go first. <laughs> That's what, <laughs> praise the Lord. You good? <laughs> Amen. Bless you. Glad you got that seat. Right. It's just, again, I'm not trying to be critical, not trying to be judgmental. I'm just like, what model are we going by? So what was the difference in how John, the disciple that, ooh, that Jesus loved, how'd he treat people? How did the, um, the other guys treat him? I would submit to you that I believe he treated people the same way that he treated Jesus. He treated people the same way that he treated Jesus. I would encourage also any, any, any us as staff, anybody in, in uh, Bible school, I don't pay attention as much. And I'm not watching everybody and analyzing that. I'm really not. But I'm just saying, as a rule of thumb, I'd pay less attention on how people would treat Pastor Mark and more attention how you treat everybody else. Because you might be like the sons of Zebedee. I don't believe there's anybody on staff here like that, but you might be like the sons of Zebedee. I'm wanting to be up close. I'm wanting to do that. How come? You wanting to serve him? You wanting to do that? It, it'll mean something. Means that the plan of God. Hold on. You know what I'm saying? So when I say that um, 
the disciple whom Jesus loved treated everybody the same, what scripture do you have for that? Well, you remember where the scripture in Matthew 25 where uh, Jesus separated the goats and the sheep. The goats were on his left and the sheep were on his right. It was all over then. It's at the end. <laughs> and you know, and you know, if you, re- you know the scripture, you know the story, right? To where he says to the sheep, you know, you fed me, you clothed me, you visited me. Did us in life. When did we do that? Whenever you did it to the least one of these. And then the goats, when did we not? We weren't even aware because we just, me was on my mind. I wasn't even aware of anybody else. Just me, me, me. Didn't even realize that. I know that. <laughs> I know you didn't realize it. You got this worldly image, power, prestige, provision, right? Same things that Jesus was tempted with. And so we want to treat one another by the grace of God. But we're about to do communion now because it's time. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I got to leave. I gotta, we got we to gotta get to this little part right here <laughs> before we get out of here. Otherwise, it's like... You didn't get to where you needed to go. <laughs> Music, where's Pastor Whitley? You can come on up. Yeah, and who was playing with you? Uh, you can come on up and just start playing there. Um, we have more time. There's a lot of different scriptures. There's different ones. But I can just tell you these. What did Jesus do in the Garden of Gethsemane? If you read in Hebrews 5, it says that he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And the, the Passion Translation even says he learned to listen. <laughs> he learned to listen. The author and the finisher of our faith, right? The forerunner, he learned to listen. Mark a maturity is capability of listening, just like we read in 2 Timothy Mark of maturity, being able to hear what is not pleasant to hear. Paul the apostle, what did he do? He prayed three different times. Lord, deliver me. This is too hard. This thorn in the flesh, this thing that was given to me to harass me, the attack of the devil. Please make it go away. Please, they keep showing up everywhere I go to preach the gospel. What was Father's answer to him? I, I, I understand, I know. You're probably traumatized by that, aren't you? I bet you're probably triggered, aren't you? I understand your responses. Yeah, no, he said, you know what? My grace is bigger than your trigger. My grace is bigger than your trauma. And I'm not making light of that at all. But my grace is sufficient for you. And then what did Paul learn? He said he learned that in his weakness, he would glory. For there, Passion Translation says, there's the portal, the portal to God's strength. There's the doorway to God's strength. When you know what? Absolutely right. I cannot, I won't make it through this marriage. I won't make it through this ministry. I won't make it through this job. I won't make it through this boot camp. I won't make it through whatever in my own strength. But at the altar of God, present our life as a living sacrifice. Just make an exchange with him. Saying, Lord, 
I yield that part to you. Help me see that so that my mind can be renewed. Help me see these parts. We didn't get to any of that, (laughs) but there's parts. whereby we moved and we're pulled. And I just pray that the Holy Spirit will reveal those things to you.